Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Acts chapter 14 and verse 1, now it had happened in Iconium. Now, remind you, uh, they had left Antioch out of persecution. This is Paul and, and Silas. Paul, <laughs> uh, Paul and Barnabas had left for persecution. They went to this city, uh, Iconium, and they went together and t- to the synagogue, like they always did, of the Jews who spoke that a great multitude of both Jews and Greeks believed, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and a part sided with the Jews, part sided with the apostles, And when a violent attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, the cities, and and to the surrounding region, and they were preaching the gospel there. So let's, let's take a step back. You've got Paul, and you've got Barnabas. They are speaking in Antioch. Everyone seems to like what's going on. As they like what's going on, then all of a sudden people start to follow them. They were there probably two or three weeks. Uh, Then as the crowds began to like them and turn away from the leaders, uh, they did what humans do, and that is to kill the messenger. So they would attack him instead of attacking the message because there is no message that can attack Jesus. There is no message that can overthrow who Jesus is. Can you fix my mic, Thomas? There is no, me- there's no message, but the, the idea of the word world is to attack the messenger. This is one of the craziest things. I'm driving down the road, and it's the idea yesterday as, as, as I'm driving down and thinking about this whole process, and I'm going through church history relatively new in the past you know, 20 years. I know for some of y'all that sounds ancient, but 20 years of being saved. My, my sister, as, as E.G. had said, has been serving the church for over 30 years. You're walking through this and you've seen these men who have had these moments of high, high points and low points. And you're walking through this idea of is if we can attack the band. I, I, I'll, I'll give a perspective. Whether you like them or not. Can we go from there? It's interesting because a lot of people will attack whether it's a um, Kenneth Copeland or a Joel Osteen or a Benny Hinn or a Billy Graham, and they'll attack what they perceive of that person more than they even attack what's coming out of their mouth. This is the perfect example of what's taking place. So instead of looking and attacking the man, they will, instead of attacking the message, they'll attack the man. And this is what's going on. And this is a trick that the devil has done to us since the beginning. And what he's continuing to get us to do is that if we can attack the person, the message will be uh, null and void. And I've always wondered, like, why are we doing this? Why do we attack? How come I just can't disagree with what she's going through or disagree with what he's going through? I now feel a threat, and I have to attack them. And there's a couple of reasons. Number one is because we believe that God is on a budget. 
there's no way that God can bless both Alan and Peter. He's got to pick one, so I'll take his legs out, so I'm the only one standing. Y'all, there is no, for basketball sake of March Madness, there is no bracketology of where God goes, and he's the winner. Y'all fought it out. Good job. You took out all the other Christians, and you're the one standing. You're going to get the blessings. But that's what we have come to believe, as if there's this big competition between sons of God to get to this spot. Can I tell you something? I may not agree with every single preacher, and I may not agree with everything and message that they've done, but it is wrong for me to attack somebody's mission when it's not my mission. Okay. A part of what I do in life is way different than you would do in New York City. Our mission at New Life in Millbrook is a lot different than the mission of First Baptist in Dallas. And it's a lot different than the Catholic Church in Miami. And it's a lot different than First Assembly of God in Detroit. There's, those are their missions. But the problem that we've had is the world has gotten smaller through technology. And now we sit on our mighty thrones and judge the men and women of God because it's not my thing. Paul and Barnabas are now being attacked. And I I think it's so interesting. They're being attacked by the religious rulers of the day. And what's happening is is this is what's crazy. And and let me help you guys out in the world because it still happens today. Notice they would stir up the crowds and the crowds would then try to attack the people. Why would they do that? Because they don't want blood on their own hands. And this is what the world is continuing trying to do. Manipulate you to do their dirty work because they're too cowardly to do it for themselves. And I don't care if it's a political person, whether it's, or even church people. I watch the same thing. They'll stir up a Shonda and then yada, 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 yada. Then Shonda is ready for action. And then, oh, I didn't tell her to do that. Oh, I can't believe, oh, that's, oh, wow. And now she's the bad guy because of my poisonous words. And this is what's happening is that the poisoned words of the leadership is now infiltrating and influencing everyone around them. And what's happening is they were in Antioch doing signs and wonders, which means good things. I mean, that's crazy to think, right? This person is healing the sick. They're, the lame men and women are walking. The blind eyes are open. They're doing crazy things for God. And the good, you would think that people would be like, hey, this is fantastic. But yet again, as long as it attacks my position, I will attack that person even in their good things. And, and we see this continuing. It's going through, and, and, and I'll get off that soapbox, and we'll keep moving forward. And now they're finding themselves in this one city in, in, in uh, Iconium. And now... They're doing great things again. Paul is attacked yet again, and instead of running, he stands, and he takes the hits because it's more important that they stay for the cause of the faith than it is to run. And we we talked last week about, is there not a cause in your life to stand in the way of even persecution and what other people say? And and we talked about men being men and not being cowards and running away and and standing up for righteousness. And we walked through that, but but now we we see here in verse 4, the city was divided. And I love how Luke writes, 
writes this, Luke, who wrote the book of Luke and wrote Acts, he's such an interesting writer because he's a factual writer. He doesn't write things that are just pie in the sky. He writes things that are exactly the way they are because he doesn't want to discredit his writings later on in life. And so he writes this, but the multitude of the city was divided with part of the Jews and Gentiles for him, part of the Jews and Gentiles against him. In other words, it wasn't this whole city It was some people didn't like them, and some people did like them. Have you noticed that that happens today? It's this idea, and I remember as a kid, I would look at my mom and go, and everybody's doing it. Parents, you've heard this. Everybody has this, mom. Everybody does this, dad, and you're like, oh, everybody. It's this idea of the totality of, of power of influence, and I'm the one that's left out. But what's happening in this case is it's not everybody, it's some people. There are some people who want it, and there are some people who don't. And here's what's crazy in this story. I've always wondered how much of this, and if you can give me just a lot of space here, how much of this was God's will versus man just didn't do what they were supposed to do? Like, I've always wondered reading this story, what would have happened if those who were with Paul and Barnabas go, you're not going to do this anymore, and they stood up? Like, what would that kind of have looked like? And it's interesting because there's nothing written in here, and it says, and Paul was stoned by the will of God. But what happens then is happening today when righteous people stay silent, darkness will prevail. And when darkness prevails, we see horrible things. And what it does is it makes us want to retreat or it makes us want to react in a bad way. I'll just get my gun. I'll let them try. I'm like, how about we start with the word before we start grabbing some bullets? Let's let's look at what God is doing in our world and speak life. And I love this because what's happening is that you have a group of men here that are afraid. They're petrified of who Paul is, and their action is, I'm going to silence him so that I can keep my position. You know, the Bible tells me, though, that the perfect love casts out fear. And I'm watching what Paul is doing, and I'm, and I'm watching what the disciples are doing in this case, and, I've, and I'm asking myself in today's society, how does love prevail in the face of fear? Because people who are consumed with fear will do bizarre things, no? When I'm petrified, I'll do something that I normally wouldn't do. I don't like scary movies. It's not because I'm spiritual. I'm a pansy. My wife talked me into going to it was a haunted hayride walkthrough this past year. In 40 years, I've obs- I have completely missed every single one. It's once a year. It's easy to dodge. You just, I'm busy every day this month. But you know when you love somebody, they're able to talk you into doing something. And I'm watching what's taking place. The whole atmosphere. If, if you could see these people in broad daylight, you would laugh at them because they look foolish. But in the right setting, when it's dark and the music's playing and you have these people running around with fake chainsaws, your head's on a swivel, you're, you're off balance, you have no idea what's going on. There's smoke just coming everywhere and so like 
I don't know. I, maybe I was raised a little different. But <laughs> Daryl, he could eat popcorn and just walk through and high five every single one of them. <laughs> Shonda is praying in tongues half the time. <laughs> and I would like to say I was Daryl-esque. I wasn't. Because when you go through the maze, you have to go single file. I put my wife in the front. I'm not even going to lie. I'm like, I got you. If they grab you, I got you. I'll drop somebody, but you're going to. And she looked at me sideways. I'm like, I'm taller, so you can't see. So I'm just going to stand behind you so that I can see. Everybody gets a good experience. I was scared. I'm not going to lie. But the different, it's funny because fear is different. It's the same situation. We had four different reactions to the whole experience. Jessica was great until they grabbed her. Shonda was scared from the get. Daryl is, I swear to you, I'm not even joking, is doing his best to get them closer. In fact, at one, at one moment, it's Jessica, myself, Shonda, and Daryl walking through. Daryl turns around, and he sees one of the guys coming up behind us. He motions them forward and gets him to be like, I think it was holding hands with Shonda, and Daryl backs away. And so she turns around, and there's this guy, and I'm pretty confident she messed herself. <laughs> but I'm different in that one, because for me, I'm going through it, and I don't go eyes wide open, I take a stance. And that stance is, I'm, 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 I'm shuffling through that, because you jump out, you're gonna get popped. Like, it is what it is. And I'm looking for it. Like, this is the problem. I'm like, they're behind that bush, come on, let's go. And, and I, as if this is the fight club uh, haunted house, and I have the rights to hit somebody. It says really big, you hit them, you're, you're gonna get arrested. I'm like, well, they're touching me. Like, uh, this is what's up. But one thing I've noticed is that if I was walking through Target, I don't take each aisle looking to punch somebody in the face. My dad, on the other hand, I mean, no. Um, you know, like, but it's interesting when the fear is heightened, my stance would change. In Target, you walk straight forward. You do your thing. In a haunted house, I'm walking a little bit at an angle, ready for a fighting stance the entire time. Because fear is telling me I need to get ready to respond to something. But different spot is that when I'm operating in love, I don't take a fighting stance. So let's fast forward to uh, after all of that. Uh, one, one thing that I've noticed is like when, when or I don't know, my wife has noticed that when we're, especially in cities like New Orleans or even Montgomery, whatever it is, when I see somebody ahead, I will always slide her to the side just in case. And I don't take a fighting stance. It's just I love, I'm going to protect. I love, I'm going to protect. When you love somebody, you, you take a heads-on approach. You stand toe-to-toe, nose-to-nose. There's an intimacy with this. With fear, you create a fighting stance. And one thing that I've noticed in this, in this context is, is that when these people are afraid, their reaction is to fight. But yet when love prevails, our reaction is to create a vulnerability so you can get to know me. If every time you came home, you're looking for your spouse, like, like you're doing rope-a-dope, like that, I mean, you're going to have an issue in your marriage. I promise you. But no, what happens is, is that when you're wanting an intimate relationship with your spouse, you don't go in looking for a fight. 
you square up in a positive way, view me, I view you. And this is an issue that's happening in our world as we are convinced and we are, we are being um, trained to take a fighting stance with every single person we come into context. In contact with. And it's so crazy now because now we're taking a fighting stance based on the amount of melanin or lack of melanin in somebody's skin or, or now the, the gender issues or, or now we're dealing with issues on whether or not you're uh, for IVF or not. You're, it, it's a continual process to keep you in a fighting stance. How many of these politicians have you seen at the marches? or rallies. They'll, they'll be on a podium real quick, surrounded by bodyguards, and then they bail. The idea is, can we stir up the common people enough that they do something so I can get more votes? And I don't care, again, R or D or independent, this is what's happening in our world. But what if our churches would stand up and we would speak and explain what love looks like, and then the church world would go out and share love to people every single time they had. Instead of constantly telling you how to, to fight and defend and that you are taken advantage of, you know what you are taken advantage of? Every single person in this room is being taken advantage of. I don't care how old you are or how young you are. I don't care what color skin you are. It does not matter. Every single person is being taken advantage of. And if not, you haven't paid your taxes yet. <laughs> the idea is you are being used. So how about this? What if we stopped reacting out of people who don't care for our best interests, but we start looking at the Word of God who does care about your best interest? See, God is love, and He loves you through it all, and He wants you to react in love because He actually cares about you. But if I can get you to react for my own benefit and manipulate you for myself, that's not love. In fact, manipulation is as the sin of witchcraft. And here we are. In this case right here, we're seeing churched people, big air quotes, manipulate them for their own means. It's weird, though. I was in the car with my mother-in-law yesterday, and we're, we're driving down, and we're talking about churches and, and what's going on in the church world and everything else, and, and, and there's something that's unique, and I'm not saying that I'm anything special, because I'm not, but there's something unique that's happening in our church world, and that is the pastors have lost their backbones. They, they're too afraid to tell you truth, because it's a lot more about will you we, will I get your happy vote versus will you do what the God's word says? And I want you to know at New Life, I love you enough to speak the truth even if you don't like it. And if you don't like it and you want to go somewhere else, that's your own prerogative. But I'm not going to stop telling you truth because there's love. Pastor Allen, for years, has been speaking truth at this pulpit. And it's not going to stop. It will, our, our, our suits may change, or I'm, I wear his half the time. Our, 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 our looks may change, our people may change, but the word will remain the same because it's out of love. Here's the, here's the good kicker. A lot of you guys are, are transient, you are military, you, 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 you know, you're here for a little bit and you leave, and we love that you're here with us. But when you're going to another church eventually and you, you're getting set, here's the question you ask yourself. I've listened to the message, do I have encouragement 
And do I have an ouch moment? If you never have an, ooh, I don't, that, that's not fun moment, it's not going to be good for you in the long term. Now, if everything is it's your own worthless piece of turd, then that's not a good spot. That's an abusive pastor. But we have to have both because the word of God is there for correction, reproof, and edification. It's the idea as a good parent, you may give them a, a, a balanced meal. Sure, they may have some sweets at the back, but they're going to have their meal up front, the good things. And that's what we're supposed to be doing as pastors, as ministers of the gospel, is spreading it out, the entire totality of what's going on. And so as we're walking through all of this, I know that sometimes things may hurt, and there may be this ouch moment, but I do it out of love. But if I can even be even more transparent, it hurts me. I don't like writing half the stuff that I write. Because 99.9% .9 of all the sermons are about Pete. And how much change Pete needs to have. You know why? Because Pete's a person. Watch. And, and in Lystra, a certain man, verse 8, Without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. He observed, Paul observed him int intently, and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leapt and walked. Now, pause. We don't know what that means. I don't know if Paul had insight into this guy's faith. Maybe he was leaning in on every word. There was something drawing. But there was something that was taking place in Paul and this man. There was a connection. He saw his faith, and he, he reacted, and this is what's taking place. And this is when everything changes. Verse 11, now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices in the Lyconian language, which Paul did not speak. The gods have come to us in the likeness of man. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. Now pause. The, the backstory here is this. This city has a cool uh, uh, folklore, if you will. You ready for this? Zeus and some of the other gods once visited this city. And when they dressed as men and they walked the city, no one recognized them and no one would honor them and no one would show them any respect except for one elderly couple. And this elderly couple welcomed them in their homes. And then they showed that they were the gods and they killed every single person in the city except for this elderly couple. So this is now being taught for years and years and years. And now they see this. You think that's going to happen? Absolutely not. So they bring out the oxen, and they're bringing out the garland. They're doing all of these things because God knows we don't want Zeus to strike us dead again. Okay, y'all understand that's fake, right? Like, don't be like, oh, Pete believes in Zeus. Like, that's, not, that's not at all what's taking place here. This is what they were taught. This is what they believe. This is why this is happening the way it's happening. Because for years they believed lies for generations, and now they're reacting to it. And I love this. They cried out in their Lyconian language. So Paul's like, bruh, they're feeling this. This is great. I wonder what he's doing with an oxen. Maybe the, the priests are going to get saved too. Like what? And all of a sudden, they begin to bow and worship these two men. Verse 14, but when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitudes, crying out, saying, 
Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that are in them. Who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without a witness and that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful season, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. That sounds so crazy. Two things. It was Jewish tradition when they heard blasphemy for the men to rip their clothes. You see this in the temple when they brought Jesus in and they said that he was blasphemy. They ripped their clothes and that was part of a Jewish heritage. But in this case, it also signifies to them, look, we are just men. There's no magical glow. Like we're not hiding our godness. Like this is who we are. Stop, 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 stop. But here's the thing that I realized is that this very rarely happens today. We, we very rarely, sure, you may not call them gods. Sure, we may not look at them as they are deities. But one thing we have to start off with is this. Number one, as, as ministers of the gospel, we are called to serve, not to be praised. And it concerns me, get back on my soapbox, when we begin to have these people how people can react to the celebrity pastors. Okay? I believe that if God wants to bless somebody, he should bless them. I believe if he wants to show his goodness, he should show his goodness. And I'm never going to attack somebody based on how much income they have in the bank account. Never going to happen, never once. However, we all need to understand that first and foremost, as ministers of the gospel, we are no different than anyone else. Because I've watched that pendulum also switch, that they are, you know, that we, we get ushered in, or we're too good for this, or we're too good for that, and I can't, I'm not going to go wash the, the, the toilets, So when there's a serve day, I'm the pastor, I'm going to stay away because I can't get, we have lost this. We've lost this. As a minister, sure, you give honor where honor is due, but there's a difference between honoring someone and esteeming them higher than they're supposed to be. I'm a full believer that when it comes to serve, you can see this man here. He'll be out here probably tomorrow in jeans and a t-shirt cutting grass because he's a servant. It's who he is. It's how I was raised too. But we can't live this life that we're so far above everything else. Like we have to put to... We are humans just like everyone else. And I had this conversation a couple of days ago with somebody who was talking about pastors and, and preachers and all these things. So let's, let's call it what it is. Preachers deal with the same temptations you deal with. You deal with greed, so do preachers. You deal with gluttony, so do preachers. You deal with lust, so do preachers. You deal with lying, so do preachers. You deal with depression, so do preachers. You insert whatever is going on. I promise you there is a preacher on this planet dealing with the same situation that you're in. They are no better than you are when it comes to temptation. They're not more holy because they stand behind a pulpit. And if we can backtrack just a couple of years... 
I watched people walk away from churches because a preacher let them down. They did something that they disagreed with, and now, well, I'm not going to that church. I can't, I, I'm walking away from the faith. Me and God in my house, maybe on YouTube every once in a while, because uh, I believed in him or her, and they let me down because they had this issue or that issue, whatever it is. Y'all, we cannot put men or women on a pedestal. You put them too high, I promise you they will fail. This is going to happen. I will give you a thousand percent guarantee there's going to be a day that I will let you personally down. Whether I didn't call you or text you or I didn't do something, I promise you that there's people over the years that mom and dad have let down before. It's we're human. So can you give us the grace to be human too? However, part of being a believer is that we continually walk forward every day growing. My dad, I was talking to my mother-in-law yesterday, but one of the greatest things that we get talking about about my dad is, she's like, he's such a nice guy. He's, he's, a, he's a sweet man. He's, he's caring, he's giving. He's, she starts entering all these things about dad. You know what's crazy? I guarantee you, you roll back 35 years, 40 years, he probably wasn't identified as that kind of a person. My dad is my hero, not because he's a minister. My dad is my hero because every day or every year, he looks at himself and goes, how can I be a little bit better? My dad's my hero, not because he doesn't have failures in his life, but because he's learned from his failures and he gets back up again. My dad's my hero, not because he never has sin, but he continually tries to be a better version and walk with God every single day. That's what a biblical man is supposed to be doing and a biblical woman is supposed to be doing. It's not being perfect. Your pastor will never be perfect. But my goal and his goal should be your goal. That is that in 2025, I'm closer to God and holiness than I was in 2024. And in 2024, it's a lot further along than it was in 2023. It's a daily walk to get a little bit closer. Not because we're putting somebody else down, but because we want to be in relationship with God. And that's your goal. That's what we are called to do. And so you see this verse here. The men keep sacrificing. The men keep doing whatever. And notice this part. And in verse 18, and they could hardly, scarcely restrain the multitudes. Let's back up to this, this idea of popular preachers. There's a lot of people who don't like popular preachers because they have all of these things or because they have all of these followers. But yet, in this verse, Paul did everything he could do, and they still did it. One thing is that you can see a YouTube clip of somebody's message or an interview that's been chopped up and whatever, but you don't know behind the doors what they're trying to do to become and stay humble. We cannot cast stones on any man. We cannot look at any woman and say, well, if I was in their shoes, I would do dirt. You have no idea what they're even doing. We have to get to this idea that we can no longer be divided because some random person on YouTube or TikTok told us to hate this person. And when the Jews of Antioch and Iconium came there, mind you, it's 180 miles from Antioch to the city. 
They didn't hop on the train. They didn't jump on a bus. They didn't carpool. They chose to leave their cities and walked or rode a horse a long way. Would you like to walk to Mobile? How about this? If somebody bothered you enough and they moved to Mobile, would you be like, I'm going to walk all the way down there and tell everyone about them? No, you're not going to do that. You know why? You're not crazy. Okay, fine. You may post something. You'll create a new Facebook account and blast them. But still, you're not going to put forth a lot of effort. And this shows you right here the hearts of these men were to persecute Paul. He wasn't in their city anymore. He had left. He had done his thing. They show up to attack him with hate within their hearts. And when they came there, they did it again, persuaded the multitudes. They stoned Paul, dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. See right there? That, that's Luke's credibility. Luke didn't say he did die. Luke didn't embellish what's going on. Luke looks and says, they thought he was dead. Whether Paul was dead or not, I have no idea. But here's the beautiful part. So when Luke looks and says somebody was lame, they were lame. When he said somebody was dead, they were dead. When he doesn't know, he was beat half to death. We know that for sure. And it's crazy because, like, you just don't know what's happening. But I feel like in that time frame when you stoned somebody, you kind of had a good idea when they were dead. It was a successful endeavor to stone somebody. It didn't happen. This isn't the first time, like, I threw a rock. Maybe he died. So for me, I look at this and go, most likely he was dead. They supposed he was dead. And look at this. And when, when they preached, sorry, at the city, supposed him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and ran away. He rose up and said, thanks, guys. I'm out. He rose up and looked at them and go, can y'all hide me for a little bit? Let everything calm down. He rose up and went back to the city. He, he went back to the city, to the same people who hated him. The next day he went somewhere else. But that day was his day. I, I love this story. I love it so much because in this context right here, what Paul's saying is, you're not going to run me out. I know what I'm here to do, and I'm going to stay here until it's done or until I feel like God tells me to leave. I'm Pete. I've been doing ministry for a long time, and I've had horrible things said about me. Last year, my house burned to the ground. And I watched Facebook comments. He deserves it. I'm happy that happened. And I'm sitting there going, here we are. These, but you know what? They didn't stone me. But call me crazy. Being honest, maybe I'm just me, and you're a, you're a lot more of a man than I am. But I feel like if my church decided to grab stones and tried to kill me, I might go to a different city. 
Like, I feel like there's a solid chance that I'm going to, oh, man, I'm going to thank my lucky stars that I'm still breathing, and I'm going to slip out in the middle of the night. But Paul looks and goes, my calling is bigger than my comfort. He looks at this and says, I'll take the hits because I love. Fearful people will constantly do things based out of fear. People who walk in love do stupid things because they love. They will sacrifice because they love. They will do whatever they can because they love. That's why, you know, in the middle of the night, something happens, and <laughs> typically, not always, a man will jump up, shh, shh, be quiet, and he'll go and see what's going on. He's trying to protect, or maybe he just wishes he was dead. I don't know. Either way, he's, just, he's trying to put himself in that position because he cares about what's going on. When you're walking through life and you're walking with fear, you will do things under self-preservation. When you walk with love, you don't care about yourself, but you care more about the others around you. This is how we look at people and say, invite them to church and share the gospel with them because you love them, because you care for them. And look at this. The next day, they went up and went to, to Derby. And when they preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples, they turned around and went back to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. I love this. What happens if believers love so much they're unwilling to be chased away? What would happen if you loved somebody enough that you were just so persistent with love because I don't know about you, but I've had people abandon me that told me they loved me, that told me they cared. They were ride or dies. They were my whatevers. And, and then all of a sudden when the tough get, got going, so did they. And this is what Paul is saying. I love them enough to make sure that they're going to be okay, even at my own expense. Well, Pete, if I tell my coworkers about Jesus, I may get fired. If I tell my coworkers about our church, I may be made fun of. If I talk to my family about insert whatever it is, I may have X, Y, and Z. But what love does is it looks and goes, but if I don't, they will have this kind of life. They will have this kind of pain. They will have this kind of hurt. I love them enough to stand in between. Mind you, we had so much sin in our life. Jesus came to stand in between the wrath of God and us. He looks and says, I'll take the hit because I love. That's what the word says. And on his way to the cross, he was looking forward. He wasn't excited about the pain, but he was excited that you wouldn't have to experience torment and separation. He's looking forward to the idea that the people that I love will not have to experience this kind of pain. As we're walking through in the next few weeks, you're going to find yourself going through Easter and Holy Week and all this stuff. Jesus loves you enough to stand in the way. Will you not love somebody else to stand in their way? Will you love somebody enough to be in the gap? To look at them and stand in the middle and say, 
I don't care what you say about me. I don't care what you think about me. I love you enough to be the person that's going to put their reputation on the line so that you don't have to go through what I went through. As parents, that's what we do too, you know? Our idea is to that our kids won't have to go through the same hell that we did. We're pushing the marker forward so that we can pave a path. And that's exactly what Paul's doing here is he's continually paving a path. And it says this, and they made many disciples. That's a word we don't use anymore. Disciples. Next week, we pick up right here and we talk about what a disciple is. And then we ask a very hard question next week. Are you a convert or are you a disciple? That's a hard question for a lot of us to ask. We're going to walk through all of that next week. So if you're interested to know where I'm at, did I just say a prayer or am I a disciple of Jesus? Come back next week and we're going to walk through this. But if you're here today and you say, Pete, I have been living life in a way that I shouldn't be living and I needed Jesus, I still need Jesus to stand in the gap today. I need him to be in the between me and the wrath of God because I know I haven't done things the right way and, and I need his love and I need his grace and I need his mercy. I, whatever it may be, I, I'm ready to commit my life to this Jesus because he loved me in the face of it all. He loved me in my dark moments. He loved me in my sin. He cared for me and stood in the gap even when everyone else turned. He's always been there. He always will be and I want him in my life. If you're here today, I promise you this is the best thing you could ever do and that is commit your life to Jesus. Before we ever talk about being a disciple, you've got to convert your life to Jesus. The first thing you do is you have to accept him as your Lord and Savior. In seminary, we call it the ABCs. You accept him as your Lord and Savior. It's the A. You B, believe that he is the Son of God and God raised him from the dead. And then C, you confess him with your mouth. It's the ABCs. It's that simple. If you're wanting to make a life-changing decision in your world today, the first part of, of March, it's, it's, it's great season, springtime, it's, it's getting ready for Easter, you accept and you believe and you confess. I don't need to know your past. If you want to talk to me, we can talk through your past. I don't need to know all your dark, deep secrets. If you want to talk to us, we'll be here for that too. You know it. He knows it. This is between you and him. So today, as we wrap up this service, I invite you to make that choice today, to follow Jesus. So not to embarrass anybody or to make anything more awkward, just going to have you close your eyes real quick. If you're in this place and you say, Pete, I'm ready to commit to Jesus. I'm ready to, 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 to make a, a full-on commitment to who he is. Or you look at me and you go, Pete, I used to serve Jesus and it's been so long. I've walked away. I haven't been serving him like I, I, I once thought I would or, or, or I've lived this life now that's been full of sin and shame and I'm ready to make another conversation, a commitment, a covenant with him and, and convert my life back to who he is. If that's you, either one of those two, I'm just gonna ask you to look up at me. You don't have to raise your hand or stand up. Yeah, there we go. Great, 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 great. Put your head back down. Great, awesome. We've got people all over the place. Today, we, we acknowledge where we are. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to have every single person, whether you looked at me or not, every single person to say this with me. Say, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior.
I believe in you. You believed in me. Today I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. Do what you want with this life. Thank you for loving me unconditionally. I love you. I accept you. Amen. This is the beautiful part. That's the beginning stages. But can I tell you guys something next week you want to come back because that's not where you peaked. That's not the end. What happened just now is the very first step of a journey. And we're going to walk through this journey more. Love you guys very much. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.